BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. We're going to be totally upfront with you. We took a big risk going independent. To make this work, we need your support to beat the corporate media. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they are ripping this country apart. They are making millions of dollars doing it. To help support our mission of making all of us hate each other less, hate the corrupt ruling class more, support the show. Become a Breaking Points premium member today where you get to watch and listen to the entire show ad-free and uncut an hour early before everyone else. You get to hear our reactions to each other's monologues. You get to participate in weekly Ask Me Anythings. And you don't need to hear our annoying voices pitching you like I am right now. So what are you waiting for? Go to breakingpoints.com, become a premium member today, which is available in the show notes. Enjoy the show, guys. Joining us now for our weekly partnership segment with The Daily Poster is founder of that outlet, the man himself, David Sirota. Great to see you, sir. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Absolutely. So big news this week. Stephen Breyer, Supreme Court Justice, is retiring, allowing Biden and Senate Democrats to uh, fill his shoes. And you have a piece up at the Daily Post. Let's go ahead and throw this up on the screen where you say another Supreme Court corporatist would be a disaster. Now, I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn because all they've heard from the media is, oh, Breyer's a liberal and he's a consistent, reliable vote on the liberal side of things, that he's been pretty bad where it comes to corporate power. First, lay out his legacy, and then we can talk about the moving forward. Sure. Uh, over the course of his career, uh, Stephen Breyer has been a fairly reliable vote for the agenda of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is <laughs> the biggest and most powerful uh, corporate lobby group in America. So the chamber files amicus briefs, uh, which urge the court to rule this way or that way. And that's the best way to know what large corporations in America really want. And over the course of his career, according to uh, the, the data, uh, he has voted with the Chamber of Commerce uh, 
a, a majority of times that the Chamber of Commerce has weighed in on cases. Uh, so he has uh, been a, a reliable vote uh, against stronger antitrust enforcement. Uh, he has been a vote uh, against um, uh, various uh, environmental issues uh, when it comes, uh, for instance, uh, he was against a state mining ban. He voted uh, to help empower energy companies to build pipelines uh, through uh, public lands. Uh, so the point being, we could go through the, the list here, but the point being is that Stephen Breyer, even though he was appointed by uh, Bill Clinton, or maybe perhaps because he was appointed by Bill Clinton, uh, <laughs> He has been a reliable vote for big business. And the problem is, is that I, we live in an era where the Supreme Court has become uh, very extremist, uh, even in compared to uh, recent courts. The Roberts Court has become very extremist when it comes to siding with big business. That, that essentially uh, the Roberts Court, and let's remember John Roberts used to uh, represent the Chamber of Commerce as a lawyer, that the yeah. Roberts Court has become a reliable, probably one of history's most reliable uh, uh, blockades of policy for big business. So I'm just really glad that you're focusing on this. Nobody ever seems to understand that the law has immense implications for how big business operates. Can you just describe what it means exactly to side with the chamber in court? Like, what does that look like for people? Sure. I mean, look, Stephen Breyer didn't support all of the chamber's mm -hmm. uh, uh, amicus briefs. But, but broadly speaking, the Chamber of Commerce is – uh, uh, not only putting forward judicial nominee names, I mean, that's one of the things that it has been doing, uh, but it, it, these amicus briefs push the court on everything from uh, union rights uh, to uh, federal agencies' regulatory power uh, to uh, the uh, ability of, for instance, the SEC uh, to crack down on uh, Wall Street banks. Uh, Breyer, by the way, was, was a, a vote for a, a ruling that essentially limited the SEC's ability to punish corporate criminals. So the point being is that the Chamber of Commerce is, is in these divisive cases where there are questions about the law. Can the SEC, for instance, seriously punish a Wall Street bank? The Chamber of Commerce is filing detailed amicus briefs to try to essentially influence those rulings uh, to make sure the court comes down on the side of corporate power. And David, I mean, this is kind of a layup for you, but I want to go ahead and ask it. Why is it that the media doesn't explain this well? I mean, we've all heard a lot, and I don't want to downplay these decisions are important. Obergefell, you know, the right for gay people to get married, um, the right of women to choose for themselves, Roe versus Wade. These are important things, but we hear a lot about those cases and most people have never heard anything about these other instances where, you know, their work lives and their economic reality are impacted by what the court does. Why is that, David Sirota? Well, uh, corporate media is corporate. So corporate media isn't all that interested in telling the story of how uh, the corporate America's uh, most powerful lobby group is winning case after case after case at the high court. So there's a essentially... Uh, there, it's kind of a baked in bias, I would argue, that corporate media is not interested in this. Now, I would also say that a lot of these cases that deal with corporate power uh, are uh, esoteric. Uh, they deal with uh, seemingly small, very detailed uh, issues. Uh, there was a ruling, for instance, can pensioners sue uh, their uh, retirement fund if their retirement fund uh, is mismanaging their money? Uh, and, and it deals with very arcane parts of the law. So in some ways, uh, writing about that can seem 
very detailed, uh, very in the weeds. But again, it is the it is sort of the machine thrumming in the background that the that the Congress will pass something or an agency will try to do something, and then a few years later, a, an esoteric case will come to the court. The, the Chamber of Commerce will put forward an amicus brief, and bam, the agency uh, is limited. The law is gutted or overturned, uh, and it and that keeps happening over and over and over again. And what you end up with at the end of the day uh, is a legal system uh, that has in many cases, close the courthouse, door, courthouse doors to plaintiffs uh, who are trying to uh, hold big corporations accountable. You have a legal architecture that is rigged against uh, the American worker, that is rigged against the environment. And by the way, one last thing on Steve, Stephen Breyer. Uh, back in 2010, months after the Citizens United decision, I mean, he had the nerve to go out uh, and say that the Roberts court uh, is not actually uh, pro-business, which is so ridiculous. And I think <laughs> we've seen these justices go out lately trying to uh, defend the legitimacy of the court, because I think they sense that more and more people have caught on to mm -hmm. how rigged this court is. Uh, but the problem is, uh, is that in a Supreme Court nomination fight, my guess is we're not going to hear very much uh, about economic issues, even though that is mostly what the court is doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That we're going to hear a lot, a lot about these, definitely, I agree with you, important uh, hot-button social issues, but we will not hear near almost anything when it comes to what the court is doing on a day-to-day -day basis for big business. And I would posit one other reason, which is that those hot-button social issues, they break down in along convenient lines. Republicans Absolutely. are on this side, and the liberals are on that side, and that makes it easy. And um, these economic issues, as you're pointing out, a lot of times, you know, RBG was on the wrong side of some of those issues. Oh, yeah. Liberal icons, Stephen Breyer is on the wrong side of those issues. Justice Hagan. So it complicates this narrative of, you know, if you're at Fox News, Republicans good and Democrats right. bad. And if you're at CNN or MSNBC, the reverse, it makes it a lot more complicated and exposes actually there's a lot of treachery to go around here. And my fear, honestly, about this nomination fight, uh, truly, is that another Stephen Breyer would just lock in a, a, almost a guarantee that the Supreme Court remains a corporate court. That yep. the even the discourse, the debate, how how this nomination is discussed already, you you haven't seen nearly any discussion about what could be done to make the court uh, more on the side of workers. There's been discussions about uh, what is the uh, uh, what, what demographic groups uh, may be represented in the nomination pick. Uh, you've seen uh, questions uh, about uh, the politics of the nomination, but. There's been very, there's been almost no discourse, no discussion about the economic implications. I remember back in the in the Neil Gorsuch nomination, for like one minute, economic issues and corporate power issues came up in in a very big way about that that uh, discussion about his ruling with the, with the trucker who was freezing yes. on the side of the road. Yeah. And it came up for one second, and it was a big story for like one second. And I remember being like, "Wow, this is the first time I can remember." <laughs> uh, a, an economic or corporate power issue actually being at the center of a Supreme Court nomination fight, and then boom, it was gone. And yeah. so I, what I worry about is that without that kind of discussion, uh, without that kind of focus on the nominee's record and, and what kind of nominee uh, Biden is going to put forward, uh, that you get another Stephen Breyer and it almost guarantees to lock in this corporate court, which has been putting its boot on the neck of the American worker for uh, for 16 years plus.
And by the way, according to the chart that you have in your piece, Justice Gorsuch, the most reliable vote yes. for yes. the Chamber of Commerce of all of the justices who are currently sitting. There you go. Yeah. No, that's um, this is why everybody should subscribe to your work, by the way, because you're talking about these issues in a way that you won't find anywhere else. And we're always grateful for your time, David. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks to both of you. Mm-hmm. Our pleasure. Always. Thank you guys so much for watching. Have a great day. We'll have more for you later. All right, bunch of stuff out in this new NBC News poll, but one particular stat kind of caught our eye here that we wanted to highlight for you. Let's go ahead and throw this tweet up on the screen. All right, the quote here from Harry Anton is, no doubt Biden's unpopularity is playing a role here. However, Kamala Harris has the lowest net popularity rating one year in for a vice president since at least Dan Quayle. This for the NBC News poll that is out this morning and NBC polling since 1990. And you can see here. All right. Let's first stipulate that this Dick Cheney plus 51 number. Yeah. Jan 2000. Comes right after 9-11. So, of course, he and Bush had crazy popularity numbers that, you know, quickly fell off a cliff. So let's stipulate that. But, however, you've got Al Gore plus 25. Joe Biden plus 9. Mike Pence minus 6. Not good. Dan Quayle minus 9. Worse. Kamala Harris minus 17. Oh, my God. And here's the thing is, you know, always with regards to the vice president, you're thinking in terms of, okay, who might be the next nominee Mm -hmm. for the major party? I mean, that's kind of what it's sort of an audition for that. And you can see how Joe Biden is now president of the United States. And that's a major part of why is because he served as vice president of the United States under Barack Obama for eight years. But with Kamala Harris, that calculation was even more overt. Because you know that it is very possible Joe Biden will only serve one term. So you really need to have in mind, okay, this is the next person that we're going to put forward. And as we've said many times here, if you had, you know, just surveyed the scene of who have the American people thoroughly rejected, Kamala Harris, obviously they had had a chance to vote for and said, thank you, no. I would say she has in office been even worse than what I anticipated. She's just unable to give a single interview without embarrassing herself. You know, all they do is leak how it's not her fault, this or that or the other hasn't gone her way. Sexism, racism. Of course. Yeah. And and this just, I mean, people just aren't having it. Um, she has no political skill. She's unlikable. She hasn't been able to sort of assert herself on any major issue. When they do put an issue in her hand, she complains through her staffers, to the press, that this is too hard to deal with. And so you end up with a minus 17 approval rating and a dire situation facing Dems. No, oh, that's right. It's Think about this. She is almost doubly less popular than the guy who couldn't spell frickin' potato, okay? <laughs> that's how bad this is. Uh, granted, things are a little different in 1990 than 2022, but— I think it's very, very bad sign for Kamala Harris, but even worse sign for the institutional Democratic Party, Crystal. This goes to the monologue you did this week about Mark Cuban, which is that these people really have no institutional credibility or bench in order to fill the wants and the desires of America, the American people. Joe Biden is dramatically unpopular. You know who's even more unpopular? Kamala. And yeah. yet the institutional Democratic Party is held hostage by her and identity politics and accusations of sexism and racism that they cannot jettison one of the most obvious political losers of a century. I mean, I cannot think of one of the worst politicians to be on the national stage in the modern age. And yet, 
They can't do a damn thing. It's amazing to me, actually. It shows you both how weak they are, but how strong the hold of identity politics is on all of them. Yeah. And corporate politics, too, because they love her. We'll see. I mean, because at this point, they realize this is a disaster. Hopefully. They realize this is a total and utter disaster, but I'm not sure that they can figure out their way out of it. And then even if they get their wish, I mean, what they really want is to be able to replace her with Amy or ideally, I think, Pete. Pete is really the choice of, like, the Democratic donor class and billionaire class. So even if they get their wish and they replace her with Pete, it's not like he's dramatically... uh, On policy, he's not better at all. In fact, in certain ways, he's worse because he's more calculated. He's more committed to this idea of, like, you just, you know, crunch the McKinsey spreadsheet. Yes. And that's going to fill in your values for you somehow. Um, More sort of mercenary and, I would say, effective in that way. Um, But, you know, ideology-wise, they're basically both committed to their own advancement and that's about it. But in terms of popularity, I mean, Pete did, did better in the presidential primary. He actually made it to the starting line, did well in Iowa, but there was zero interest in him from what is supposedly the core of the Democratic base, which is voters of color. I mean, he got like three people in South Carolina, three black people in South Carolina to vote for him, despite many efforts. I mean, they really tried, but there was just they people just weren't interested. They weren't having it. They saw through this guy. So even the savior that they think is waiting for for them in the wings is going to be a total disaster. No, I think that's correct. And this is the very interesting part of all of this, which is watching and seeing them try to handle it. They don't have any good options, which is why I do think they'll stick with Kamala in the end. Look, Biden said she will be my nominee, running mate in 2024. Even if he doesn't run, he has to give it to her. She is the vice president. And I do think there are enough people who are in the Democratic base who would follow what Biden has to say. Also, you know Obama and them would come in possibly on her side. I don't see how they could uh, cast her side. Well, that's the big question, isn't it? What would Obama do? He's the guy. I mean, only Michelle could beat her, but I don't think she wants to run. So I don't know. Yeah, um, I think, but if Obama backed someone else, that Mm -hmm. would create a permission structure for people to move away from Kamala. That's true. Now, he and Kamala have history. They sort of came up at the same time in politics. So they had an affinity. I mean, that was like the first fundraiser he did outside of Washington was for Kamala Harris. So I do think that there's kind of like a relationship affinity there. Um, However, I mean, Obama was right about Biden. You know, his yep, famous, like, true. never underestimate. Never underestimate his ability to s- screw things up. Yeah. That's, that's, a, para- that's a nice— Sanitize. Yeah, it's a nice way of saying it. Yeah, and obviously did not back his vice president. And, J- of course, Joe said, oh, I, I asked yeah, him I not asked to him not me. Yeah. Okay, sure. Which is kind of a clever <laughs> move on his part. But, obviously, like, everyone saw through that. Obama liked Beto more. I think he liked Pete more. Although he said Pete was, like, too short or yeah, something so like that. True. <laughs> I recently saw Pete on the street here. He's a short guy. I don't so, trust that. I mean, <laughs> sorry, sorry, short people. You have to be six three to be I have president. I'm nothing against short people, but it is yeah. true that it's great. Yeah. Apparently, is a political problem. Anyway, yeah. that's the least of Pete's issues. <laughs> Let's just say that um, Obama is hardly the political genius that he's been sold as, but he does have some instincts, and I think he probably is clever enough to see that Kamala would be a disaster. So I guess that would be one out. He endorsed Hillary, Crystal. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, but that was about protecting his own legacy. True. Because Bernie, you know, if Bernie does single-payer health care, well, what is that? That makes Obamacare look pretty small and pathetic and like the giant health insurance giveaway that it ultimately was. 
But yeah, to your point, I mean, he's no political genius here, but I think he could probably see that Kamala Harris is a disaster. So if he were to back someone else or say stay sort of studiously above the fray or make moves behind the scenes, mm-hmm. he would be the one that I think could cause them to go in another direction. So we'll see. There you go. We'll see. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll have more for you later. Always keep a very close eye on the people who are around Joe Biden, who's lobbying them, and the dollars that are being spent. Now, we've been warning here, both even here and on our past show, about Steve Reschetti, who is the deputy White House chief of staff under Joe Biden, and whose brother, who he co-founded a lobbying firm with, remains one of the highest paid lobbyists here in D.C., miraculously, around the same time that Biden becomes president. Hmm. Well... Who's paying, Mr. Rochetti? Let's go ahead and put this up there on the screen. Amazon, this is recent disclosure filing show, has paid $90,000 during the last three months of 2021 to Jeff Rochetti, who is the brother of Steve Rochetti, to lobby on issues related to the regulation of online marketplaces and consumer privacy, amongst other things. Now, that is pretty revealing, don't you think? Which is... You have a small lobbying firm, as described by Ken Vogel here at the New York Times, who is pulling 90K, so 30K a month in order to lobby on behalf of Amazon, who is the brother of a senior White House official. Rashetti does not get nearly the amount of view and like public consciousness that he deserves, but he and his brother had one of the top lobby shops here in Washington, and now all sorts of tech firms and others are paying his brother in one of the most clear pay-to-play schemes that could possibly exist here. And yeah. Biden simply doesn't seem to care, Crystal. I mean, he said that you know his White House would not be corrupt. He said he wouldn't have undue influence and all this. You know, Steve Rochetti has said, oh, well, my brother doesn't lobby me. He lobbies the people around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. okay. So if somebody <laughs> works for you and you're like, hey, the boss's brother wants a meeting. You're not going to take it? They want you to defy your lying eyes and human nature everything that we know about familial networks in order to say that this is an outright corruption, which it is. Well, and there's a few things to say here, too, which is that now is right now a very critical time for Amazon and other tech giants. Um, We talked to Stoller last week Mm -hmm. about the markup of an antitrust bill that was going on in the Senate passed out of the Judiciary Committee. So they're going to be spending lots of money trying to push back on some of the things that are coming out right now with new antitrust energy on both the right and the left. Um, So that's one thing to say here. Another thing is uh, Biden, even though he has some new faces around him, he has relied on the same sort of core group of guys for a long time. And uh, Rochetti is one of them. Mm -hmm. So this is someone who even though you don't see him in the public eye as much as Ron Klain or Jen Psaki or some of the other high-profile names, this is someone who has very direct access to the president. And that's ultimately what they're paying for here. The other thing to say about it is, I shouldn't have, but I looked at like the replies and the quote tweets to this, and they're so depressing. I mean, it's all these Democratic partisans who were like, this isn't even that much money, or who were like, everybody does this, lobbying's common. I mean, all of these total, like, rationalizations of what is pure corruption. And yeah, everybody does do it. That doesn't make it okay. That makes it worse. (laughs) It doesn't make it better. And Joe Biden said he was going to restore the soul of the nation and that it was, you know, turning the page from the corrupt era of the Trump administration, which was wildly corrupt. And they just operate in the same way that everybody else does. So 
Yeah, it's important to know uh, where the money is going, who it's going to, and how the game's ultimately being played, which is what Ken Vogel's yep. exposing here. And, you know, we have a second one here. Tony Podesta, John Podesta's brother, very, very close to the White House and some of the top Biden aides. $1 million over the past six months by the U.S. arm of Chinese telecom giant Huawei to lobby the executive office of the president. Huawei is, of course, banned by the Trump administration, upheld that ban by the Biden administration to sell their devices, clearly riddled with spyware here in the U.S. by the Chinese Communist Party and very directly linked to their top government officials. And we have Tony Podesta netting a million bucks from those people. It just... They know our system better than we do. I always say that. You know, I love that quote, which we played here on the show of that Chinese professor who's like, how do you think it works in the U.S.? And he holds up his hands like this. He's like, you got to pay the right people. Biden's son, the Podestas, they know that you can just buy off these people and try to get the job done. So outright in the open, a million bucks over six months. Sounds nice. You know, honest work, if you can get it. Um, And it's just outright corruption, which is right here in the open. As you said, most Democrats don't care, or they say, but Trump. Yeah, Trump was bad, too. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't justify your your, bad actions. Is that where your bar is set? Trump? That's your your standard now? Okay. (laughs) Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the richest people here and in the surrounding counties are the people who are willing to work with, like, the the sleaziest— The Kazakhs. The the sleaziest governments are the sleaziest companies. Those are the ones who really get paid. The more you're willing to compromise Mm -hmm. your morals, the more money you're going to make in this town. Lobbying for, like, apartheid South Africa or, like, Uganda or something, that's where, like, the real cash money is, uh, which is disgusting. But there we go. Yep, indeed. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll have more for you later. New York Times is asking what to us was a little bit of a hilarious question. Um, Let's go ahead and throw this tear sheet up on the screen. Can CNN's hiring spree get people to pay for streaming news? Sagar, will people pay for streaming news? I just don't know the answer. Our show proves that they will. (laughs) The problem is that the people who want to pay for that don't want to watch CNN. (laughs) The amount of trash, and I know we're trashing them, but this is very, you know, it shows you a lot about how these idiots think about the business because, you know, they brought hired crew. Chris Wallace and this NPR All Things Considered co-host and Casey Hunt. And they're signing these people Eva to multi-million dollar deals. They're spot together. They're going to do <laughs> Eva Longoria. Allison Roman is getting a cooking show. But my personal favorite, Crystal, is down uh, in the, below about existing CNN talent. Here's what they want to charge you for. Charge you for. Anderson Cooper will have a show focused on parenting. Fareed Zakaria will do historical events. Jake Tapper will host Jake Tapper's Book Club in which he interviews authors. This is B-minus content at best that they're trying to charge people for. Isn't this kind of what Fox News did? Yeah, and by the way, Fox Nation is a total disaster. Yeah, they had That's like the dirty little Ainsley secret. does like a Bible, yeah, Bible study, study or something. Or something. Oh, it's the same. The, somebody has a cooking show. I can't remember who it is. It's like Greg Gutfeld has a cooking show yes. or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it was the same sort of concept of like, let's take these hosts that, by the way, no one cares about, yes. and they only get views because they're part of this thing of that's this just on in the thing. background. No one is choosing affirmatively to watch these people. Let's imagine. That there's a desperate hunger so much for these individuals like Anderson Cooper that they would watch content, uh, you know, of him on parenting or whatever. It's just, it's hilariously bad. And um, the amount of money they must be spending on this oh, is millions and millions completely insane to have a less good 
product. The only one that I could see, maybe the Allison Roman cooking show could do well. Why would anybody pay for that? But you know how many good you- cooking shows that's are what out I was on YouTube? Say is like, like, you can get that sort of stuff for free on YouTube. There's a whole, like, a bunch of different cooking channels. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to see people being like, I'm going to pay for a CNN service to get a cooking show. I don't know. It's I, uh, and they well, didn't they didn't pick anyone that I know of who has succeeded in alternative media. Space. Exactly. You so know, wouldn't you, you sh- get someone who has like a track record of like, oh, people will actually show up for this person. They have their own individual audience. They don't understand that that's different from like the cable news model that they have. It's like you know, Joe. They Spotify bought Joe Rogan for a reason or paid Joe Rogan for yeah. a reason because he had a different audience out there that they wanted to bring onto their platform. This is literally not what's happening here. And it's just amazing. And I, I always emphasize this. These people are subsidized by their cable carrier fees because people like live news. That's the only reason that any of this is valuable. But a lot of these people have become egomaniacs. And they think that because they're on TV, people actually want to watch them. No, 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 no. It's just rigged that way. Yeah. People don't actually want to watch you. There's a reason why none of you are actually doing well on social media or would do well out here in the independent environment. And they're about to find that out real quick. They can't even offer you live news legally online. So all they can give you is this B-minus talk show BS. Yeah. Good luck. All right? Have fun. Yeah, and post-Trump, even the rigged model isn't working for them. People aren't even watching them now in the spaces where they are and where the the thing has been rigged to get people to be to watch them. So I don't know. It it just shows you how not genius our supposed genius leaders are and how little they understand what people actually want. And um so listen, I hope I, I it'll be interesting to watch how it does. The other piece is that we'll never know because yeah. they'll never let they'll never actually tell you what the streaming numbers are. Oh for sure. They'll it'll fake be, it Totally hidden, totally faked, and all of that. I can't wait to watch this thing go down. I am actively rooting against it. It'll be quietly shelved in a few years, and they just won't say anything about it. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll have more for you later. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is Errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at Errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.